0: I'd been in India for about six weeks when I learned how to be in India. That's one of the things you have to understand when you go to a place that exotic. You don't immediately know how to be there, especially if you're coming from midtown Manhattan and uh, you arrive in a place as alien as India. It takes a while to figure out how to breathe that air. And uh, I hadn't figured it out until I got to a place called Pushkar, which is in Rajasthan in the desert um, that spreads from India into Pakistan. I met a guy there named Sean who um, went on to become one of my best friends. Australian guy. Um, met him there in a, in a guest house that I was staying in. And Sean really showed me how to be in India. He showed me how to laugh uh, and and enjoy the absurdity of situations that I had found annoying as hell up to that point. And when I saw him relax and uh, well, when I saw how relaxed he was and how, much he was enjoying the same things that were driving me crazy, I I got some insight into the whole purpose of traveling that I really hadn't had before. Of course, I understood it intellectually, but I didn't understand it emotionally, how important it is to be amused by absurdity and difficulty and inefficiency and and just the bizarre weirdness of that kind of travel. up traveling with Sean for quite a while. Um, we, we traveled from Pushkara to Geiselmer, which is out further into the desert. I'll talk about that in the next episode or an upcoming episode. And then we hooked up again in, in Nepal, and then we saw each other in Denmark and traveled through eastern Germany when it was still communist, Czechoslovakia, across France, Germany, Then we saw each other again in San Francisco a few years later in New York City. Uh, And he and his wife came and lived in Barcelona for a while when I was there. We were both very mobile traveling around the world, so we sort of arranged to run into each other in various places over, I don't know if it was 10 years or so. And I haven't seen him in a long time now. And this is one of the... Sadnesses of living this kind of life—that some of the people you grow closest to end up very, very far away. But I owe Sean a great debt uh, for for what I just described, for teaching me how to laugh uh, instead of get annoyed by the craziness that was India. Another uh, important element in learning how to be in India was. Uh, what's called bang, which is a preparation of marijuana uh, that's used in uh, Hindu ceremonies. And Pushkar is one of the most sacred places in the Hindu world. And because of that, it uh, because of the religious importance, there's a lot of bang around. And when I was there, this is 1988, probably, um, you could get uh, people in a restaurant to make bang lassies for you. And a bang lassie is like a really nice, mellow high that you get from you can get from eating a cookie or something if you have the right dose. But it's the kind of high that you don't even notice that you're getting high until an hour after you drink the stuff. You sort of just notice how rich the colors are and how relaxed you feel. And then you say, oh, oh, that's right. I drank that thing an hour ago. That's why I feel so chilled out. I remember one day after having a bang lassie with Sean in in one of the little restaurants, I was walking back to the hotel where we were staying or the guest house where we were staying. And there was a, a woman squatting on the side of the dirt road, taking a dump and looking up at me, smiling, not a trace of shame on her face, and holding her hand out to see if I'd give her a a little uh, coin as I walked by. (laughs) I just remember thinking, man, this place, this is really something. And then a a few uh, meters away, walking along the dirt road, this cow comes along, and there are cows everywhere in India, of course, and for the first time, I got it. I got it. Like, why is the cow sacred? He's just so chill. Hey, everything's slow. No hurry. Just relax. Move in a slow, liquid kind of movement. And it all just made sense to me. And the third element in in helping me finally arrive in India was the town of Pushkar itself, which is, well, was. I haven't been there since then. But uh, it was an amazing place. And I'm sure it's still an amazing place. It's... First of all, to get there, you go to Ajmer, and then from Ajmer, you take a bus up over this ridge of mountains uh, that's called Snake Mountain. Go down the other side of Snake Mountain, which is great, because Snake Mountain sort of blocks all the light from Ajmer, which is a pretty sizable city. So you go down to this lake. There's a little round lake in the middle of the desert And the story I was told was that um, I think it was Krishna was walking through that desert and he saw something very sad. I don't remember if it was a dying child or what it was, but his teardrop fell to the desert and formed this circular, beautiful lake. In the town of, of Pushkar, there are no... Um, internal combustion engines allowed and no meat, so all the food uh, was vegetarian and there were no there was none of the the noise that's so oppressive in India of all the motorbikes and the rickshaws and the trucks and all that and the air was clean because the, all the buses everything had to stop outside of town and then you would take a get a, an ox cart to bring your luggage in if you had a lot of luggage. And around the lake are what are called ghats, which are basically concrete stairways that go down into the water. So pilgrims who come from all over India to bathe in the waters of Pushkar Lake, which is, you know, one of those things about India. It's also where all the sewage goes from the town. So it's... Um, questionable whether you want to bathe there although one day I did jump in and swim in the lake and I remember the native people looking at me like I was insane and I look back on that now and I think I was insane what the hell what kind of strange bacteria and viruses were swimming around in that water that immediately went into my body but I survived it Um, not without the typical Indian Uh, intestinal issues, of course. But um, more on that later. The the town itself is just amazing. It's the electricity is all run by generators, which they turn off at 10, 11 o'clock at night. And so all the lights in the town go off. And the stars, the sky is just so dark. I'd found this place, I think it was called the the palace hotel or something like that it had formerly been a palace it was all white beautiful had a courtyard and um you could get a room there for two or three dollars a night and then there was a uh sort of a communal um dorm room situation uh, probably 20 or 30 bunks in there and you could stay in there for 50 cents or so I stayed there a couple nights, but there you know there was always noise, people snoring, whatever, but I didn't want to spend three or four dollars for a room, which seemed extravagant and um it's a desert, it never rains, so I looked on the roof, I thought, well, I've got my sleeping pad, I've got my thermo rest air mattress, I've got my sleeping bag. I could just camp out on the roof, so I went and talked to the the guy and his name was Surendra, the the guy who uh sort of ran the place and I said, you know, what would it cost me to sleep up on the roof? And he said, no, I don't know, 25 cents. I said, okay, I'll do that. So I went and looked around. I went up to the second story and looked around on the roof, and then I saw that there was a ladder going up another two stories just straight up the side of this tower. I climbed up the ladder, and there on the top, I guess this was the water tank inside this tower, there was a beautiful flat roof Uh, about three meters by three meters with uh, a low wall around it, protective wall sort of uh, maybe two feet high going around. And this place was perfect. It was ideal. First of all, it was private. You'd have to go up the ladder to get there. You wouldn't even see my stuff up there. And it had a view out over the village, over the lake, across the desert to these two beautiful symmetrical mountains that of course look like breasts to 25 year old men that we were and one of the breasts or one of the mountains had a temple on top of it that looked like a nipple of course and the sun would set over there by the mountains and you get these beautiful reflections on the lake and the the ghats and then as the sun went down the the pilgrims would come down to the lakes led by a the guru who carried um, a lantern and a cowbell. So you'd hear the cowbells rippling over the water and hear the splashes as people poured the sacred waters of Pushkar Lake over their heads. So once I got installed up on this rooftop, I did not want to leave. It was fantastic. I think it was the best place in the whole village I remember the first night I was up there, the generators went off around 10 o'clock and I was just lying there feeling proud of myself, snug in my sleeping bag, looking up at the beautiful sky. There was no moon, so the stars were just blasting everywhere, just so bright. And I saw a shooting star, and I thought, wow, that's cool. I saw a shooting star, and then a few seconds later, another one. Another one. Fucking shooting stars. Going crazy. I counted them. I remember getting up to 20 before I just thought, this is nuts. This is a night I'll never forget. The next night, same thing. Night after that, same thing. It wasn't that that was some amazing anomaly it was just that I was in a place where you could see the fucking sky and that's what happens shooting stars constantly every night when you can see them you just don't see them I don't see them haven't seen them since not like that one night I saw something that I know you won't believe I wouldn't believe it either but I saw two shooting stars cross each other's paths in the sky formed a big white x in the sky We'd sit there, Sean and I, our routine was to go have uh, late lunch accompanied by a bang lassie, then wander back. He'd take a nap or read for a while. I'd usually go up to the rooftop and do a little yoga. The sun was so nice, and I'm not a big yoga guy, but um, the sun was it was that sun you get sometimes in the autumn or the spring where it's warm enough to to warm you deeply, warm you right to your bones, but it's not it doesn't burn. It doesn't there's no surface tension, it just sinks into you and loosens your muscles. So I would stretch up there and that's the most probably the most limber I've ever been, you know, other than when I was a kid doing martial arts. But as an adult, I would say that's the most limber I've ever been. I would just get in uh, plow position and let the sun warm my thighs and the backs of my legs and and just loose and loose. And it was so great. Plus, I was stoned, which is always nice. And we'd sit up there, and uh, Sean and I would watch the sunset. And down below us, there was the Sunset Cafe where uh, a lot of travelers would uh, hang out and watch the sunset over the lake. And they'd see us up there. They'd see my red hair being lit by the setting sun, the golden light of the setting sun. And sometimes people would think, that's a pretty cool place to go. And they would come and go to the hotel and climb up the stairs and find their way to the rooftop and then come up the ladder. So it was almost like we had a talk show. We'd have somebody showing up. Most nights, somebody would show up who had seen us up there. And they'd say, hey, can we hang with you guys? Yeah, come on up. And I remember one night it was, an astrophysicist from Princeton like a real nerdy dude who was traveling with his wife and uh we were smoking some hash we had um what's called a chillum which is uh like a pipe but it's straight it's a straight up pipe and uh there's no uh, 90 degree turn in it and uh most of you probably know what a chillum is so Anyway, that's what people use in in India. So we were smoking some hash out of that, and uh, offered it to this guy, and he was like, "Ooh, I haven't I haven't tried this since graduate school back in the '60s." <laughs> so anyway, so there was this constant stream of people coming, and and like in town, I could see people would refer to me. You know, they'd see me walking down the street, and people would say, hey, "That's that guy that lives up on that rooftop." So I was sort of famous for for living up on this uh, really funky rooftop and sort of thinking of the place, you know, that nobody else had thought to to, uh, colonize. So I'm up there one night, and I'm sound asleep in my sleeping bag, and uh, I wake up because my body is telling me that in about 20 seconds I'm going to vomit. Now, this isn't an unusual thing in, in India, Mexico, lots of places where the bacteria in the water is not what your body's used to. It takes time to adapt, and uh, so you go through all sorts of intestinal stuff. So, you know, that's that's not a big deal, but um, it was kind of a big deal because I'm in a sleeping bag, and I'm in this, this area where there's no bathroom, there's not even a bucket, there's no, nowhere to puke. So I'm thinking like, whoa! Well, I don't want to puke here. This is all well, my stuff's here. My clothes are spread out. I've got a couple books. I've got, you know, all this shit here. So I'm thinking, well, okay, wait. Uh, on three sides, there are other rooftops from the hotel. And then on the fourth side, it goes straight down, I think, four stories into this area where the cafe was. There's a table with a juicer machine and some fruit where they make the fresh fruit in the morning. But straight down this wall, I look, there's a sidewalk. And between the sidewalk and the wall is a strip of grass, maybe two feet wide. So I look around. It's totally dark. No wind. I'm running out of time. I lean over the wall, support myself, and just let it go puke my guts out. I fall back over, fall asleep immediately, and forget the whole thing. So the next morning I go down and I'm standing in line to get uh, get some juice and I happen to look down in the grass and there is a small, already dry collection of giblets, my puke. It all comes back to me. Ah, that was me. Oh, shit. That's my puke from last night. It's already dried out. Nobody will even notice it. It's a desert. Things dry fast. And I felt like, all right, I'm learning how to travel. I remembered Hemingway uh, defined courage as grace under pressure. And I thought, that's me. That is me. Grace under fucking pressure. I had a few seconds come up with a plan, execute it. I did it flawlessly. I am the fucking dude. Let me tell you. of weeks later same situation I'm sound asleep I wake up my body telling me Chris you've got 20 seconds and you are going to shit your brains out explosive diarrhea so I'm sound asleep what's oh fuck all right I've been here before it's the middle of the night, completely dark, generators are off, nobody's around. So I hang my ass out over that wall, and I let go, and cleaned up, crawled back into my sleeping bag, fell asleep, forgot the whole thing. Same thing. Next morning, get up, go down to have Breakfast. And I'm supposed to meet the um, cousins of the owner of this place. The place was owned by a British countess uh, who had married an Indian man. And her cousins had come from London. And she was excited to introduce me to her cousins. I don't know why. But anyway, uh, they were there. And I said, H- good morning. And they said, good morning. And I said, I'm going to get some food. I'll be right back and join you for, oh, well, lovely, lovely. And so I go over. I'm standing in line to get some juice. Same same situation. And I uh, get my juice. And I go and sit down at the table with the countess and her two cousins. And they're very pleasant and polite and blah, blah, blah. And I the waiter comes over to take my order i look up at the waiter and behind him over his shoulder i see my shit running down that white wall four stories straight down the fucking wall